Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to We Dig Metal Evolution, a special Let It Roll Maxi series discussing Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution documentary series, hosted by Nate Wilcox with Eugene S. Robinson of the art punk band Oxbow and entertainment lawyer Alexi Ald. Let It Roll is the insanely ambitious musical history podcast. We've covered the early history of rock and roll, country music in the 20th century, the rise of hip-hop, disco, and electronic dance music, and now heavy metal. Stay tuned for our histories of Broadway, opera, punk rock, jazz, blues, and gospel. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter, at Let It Rollcast, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcast.com. Today, Nate, Eugene, and Alexi discuss the new wave of British heavy metal which produced Iron Maiden and Def Leppard and revived heavy metal in Britain after the punk rock revolution. Email us at letitrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and I'm back again with my co-host, colleagues, and co-conspirators, Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson to continue our discussion of Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution series that aired on VH1 a few years back. The fourth episode is called New Wave of British Heavy Metal and covers the late 70s and early 80s in Britain, an era that started with metal on its back foot in the face of the punk rock explosion, and in response, a new generation of metal bands like Iron Maiden, Diamond Head, Motorhead, and Def Leppard arose. So, gentlemen, big Nawabin fans, everybody? Everybody? Motorhead. Cool. Motorhead. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to bring up Motorhead because they didn't bring up Motorhead. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, well, and look, look, the, the, the dude, the bass player for Iron Maiden, it's like, it was kind of funny, his, him dissing punk rock, but the third or fourth time he had done so, it was like, I, you don't think that, the, I know Sam Dunn is interviewing you. He probably wasn't around back then. You So you think you can get away with it? The actual fact is that Iron Maiden, you know, their ethos was uh, um, it, he, he's making a distinction between what was happening in England in 77 and when that crap died down and hardcore happened, Iron Maiden very definitely was a hardcore version of, of, of metal. Bruce Dickinson was a, a, a muscular guy, wasn't, there was no Johnny Rotten, the torn clothes. They, they were like, 
at the, at that time, the guys who were in the hardcore also were, were into bands like, uh, were specifically Iron Maiden. In fact, my second tattoo employs Fast Eddie from Iron Maiden in the skull with the cholo writing I have on my right arm. And it was because very, very definitely because they brought a hardcore ethos. So yeah, he's right. Officially, technically, he can shit on punk rock as much as he wants. But Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden benefited and introduced a hardcore ethos to metal that hadn't been, hadn't really been there before. Judas Priest had some sort of quasi macho elements, but you know, you're never quite sure whether all that leather was macho or, you know, well, very much. Right, right. <laughs> How do you define so, hardcore? We talk about a hardcore ethos for. A new I'm talking about hardcore. I'm talking about hardcore music. I'm talking about black hardcore flag. Punk. I'm talking about fear. You know, um, and the ether, they came out. I mean, if you took Lee Ving, I mean, it put him next to Bruce Dick. They, they were, you know, it, I got you dissing punk rock, but you got to know that you were a direct beneficiary of being a hardcore version of, of, of a metal band. Stripped down, no bullshit, you know, lurid covers um, and, and, and just kind of straight ahead stuff. So... Um, I thought that was a little bit of uh, find the red, find the red, find the red, three card Monty switcheroo because they owed a lot to, to hardcore. Not so the question then becomes how much of hardcore owed, owed, owed a punk rock, and I, I don't know. I don't know. That's well, no, that's another discussion for another day, is what I mean when I say I don't know. And let let's backtrack because most of the listeners probably haven't seen this show. So they start out by introducing you. Know, this is basically Sam Dunn is my favorite metal band of all time. Iron Maiden came out of a scene. With and he never points out just how terrible the name is. The new wave of British heavy metal or Nawabum, which people really yeah, call yeah. it that. Um yeah, yeah. But there was this wave of British metal bands in mainly the early eighties when they is when they seventy nine eighties when the album started coming out. And they were active before that, but like they say in the show, it took them a long time to get signed. Some of these bands have been around since seventy five, yeah. seventy six and couldn't get any traction because of punk rock in England, which in 76, 77 exploded big time in a way it did not in the US. And they didn't talk about that at all. They don't mention American punk at all, which makes sense since this is a British a British thing. Um, and you're talking about the well, bass player of Iron Maiden. The German bands that would qualify as, as part of the new album as well, though they were not British heavy metal, right? And I'm thinking about, I discovered, except like, Pretty much a year after after I heard Iron Maiden for the first time, so eighty, could, if it was possible, even eighty three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this stuff all gets kind of conflated because, like, and they mentioned this, like Judas Priest adapted to what they were hearing from the yeah. Nawabam bands, yeah. and so because you know, before before I rewatched this, I was coming up with a whole uh, argument that a lot of the Nawabam innovations came from Judas Priest, but when you look at their discography, uh, they were adapting to what they were hearing, either from punk or from Nawabam bands. And 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 except as somebody I would classify as power metal, honestly I'd classify all these bands as power metal. If Judas yeah, Priest yeah. is power metal, then all of these bands are essentially in that same template. Um, but mm. yeah, but they they're sticking with Britain, which makes sense. They've got you know the new wave of British heavy metal. You're gonna you're gonna place it in Britain, and they talk they have to talk about punk because it was such. Uh, day zero a year zero event for guitar based mm -hmm. rock and roll especially in england um yeah. but to me it's totally consistent for somebody like sam 
is it Sam Harris? Steve Harris, sorry. Steve Harris, the bass player and leader of Iron Maiden, to totally diss and hate punk rock. I knew so many Iron Maiden fans who totally dissed and hated punk rock. It was, you know, and you see a lot of a lot of bands had that same attitude. Bon Scott of ACDC had that same attitude. And ACDC was a band when they toured England the first time, 75, 76, they were lumped in with punk and the Runaways and everything else. And there was kind of this and, and their, in the their, their critique. Their critique is well-founded. I mean, their critique solely is these guys can't play. And they were right. <laughs> they couldn't And play. their fans are spitting on people. I don't want to get spit yeah. on. Therefore, I don't want to be punk rock. Well, I mean, you, you, well, you, you know, the first time the Bad Brains uh, played England, <laughs> they uh, spit on the Bad Brains because they thought as a sign of appreciation. And Daryl Jennifer, the bass player, uh, took his bass off. Went down to the audience, bam, punched some guy in the mouth, and that was it for spitting up all great shows in England. <laughs> yes, you know. yes, but uh, in '77 apparently it was impossible to do that. And there's endless stories of bands, you know, opening their mouth to sing, loogies going down their throat, and just getting hepatitis from all the spit. Yeah, yeah so I can definitely see why you would say uh, no, thanks, not for us, um, but. You know, I thought they did a pretty good job, though, of presenting the case for punk. You can tell for Sam Dunn, it's a dead letter. He's old, he's young enough that to him, punk and metal are just different forms of hard rock that he likes both of them, you know. Yeah. And he keeps yeah. pushing Steve Harris to, you know, admit that punk had some influences on Iron Maiden, which their manager does. He talks about how he modeled their yeah. record company that they put their first EP out completely unstiff, even to the extent of stealing the name. You know, the members rock of Diamond rock. Head... Yeah, rock hard. You know, if it's not stiff, it ain't worth a fuck. If it's not rock hard, it's not worth a uh, bleep. Um, but I, that's totally consistent for a manager and a bass player to have different visions about what's going on. Also, except, also, so. but their art ethos, their their cover was not like uh, their cover. I thought was pretty was pretty was pretty punk rock. You know, yeah. um, their the album first, cover. The first, yeah, yeah, the album cover. Yeah, I mean, back and when the, album covers used to be a big deal. Yeah, and the singer. Um, as well, their original singer before they got yep. Bruce Dickinson was was quite punk yep. rock, and also the the leaders of Diamond Head and Saxon that they interview here are both like, oh, we love the Sex Pistols, we love punk rock. So I, I think it was partly that 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 um, Steve Harris and Iron Maiden guys were a little older, and yep. and so they just didn't get it, didn't see the need for it, and also didn't want any part of getting spit on. So you know, perfectly, you know, but but for our purposes with this show. They show a ton of footage of the Sex Pistols with young Johnny Rotten, which and Glenn yeah. and Glenn Matlock rather than Sid Vicious. So it's it's the the right, the right lineup of the band, um, you know the Glenn Matlock being the bass player who wrote all the music for the Sex Pistols, and yeah. you know yeah, yeah. you don't fire the guy who writes all the music to bring in a yeah. junkie who looks cool and can't even play, uh, is kind of the moral. But then and they've got interviews with Rat Scabies of the Damned and and footage of the Damned, um, you know and and and. Uh, do a pretty good job to me of telling the, the punk rock narrative. Alexi, you've been awfully quiet. Thoughts? No, this is, no? I, this is you know, I was not, my group for that era was Motorhead. Uh, so a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, Iron Maiden, yes, very aware of them, but the whole punk versus um, metal thing in the UK was different than it was in the US. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they, 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 they sort of. They, I mean, there oh, were. If you went to shows, if you went to shows in L.A., I mean, uh, my, a buddy of mine said something interesting. His son, he just walks in, he's got a, a, a denim vest on, and he looks at his son. And he goes, 
do you know you do realize that any one of those bands fans would have kicked your ass if you went to high school when I went to high school and the son was like, well, what do you mean? It's like you can't have an ACDC patch with a Nirvana patch on your jacket without getting grief from both of those crowds. He's like, kids, they don't have any tribal sense of music. Right. Algorithm feeds them their music. They're just like, I like it all. So they put the patches. It's like the punk rockers would have beat you. The hardcore kids would have beat you. The metal kids would have beat you. You would have been just running from class to class every day. But, you know, I mean, yeah. But that's also kind of what the accomplishment of the grunge movement was, was that they they bridged that gap and and had the whole, you know, seven seconds had the song, if we can walk together, why can't we rock together about, which is something I lived of having all these bonehead metalhead friends who didn't like punk, you know, and, and those guys were were in serious peril for a period of time. There are a couple of years there where um, those guys were get, if you are a metal guy trying to go to a hardcore show, at like the Olympic Auditorium in LA or in Boston, you were literally taking your life into your hands, you know? I mean, yeah, because in yeah. most of those same cities, if you were a punk fan, just walking the street, you were taking your life yeah. in your hands. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw yeah. a t-shirt recently, like I was punk back when it was called Hey Faggot, you know? So excuse yeah. the yeah. F word, yeah. but that's, yeah. that's, that's what it was yeah. at the time, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and they have multiple people they quote about, with stories about getting bottles thrown at him by punk fans, which is fitting. It's a metal show, but it was going back and forth. And the yeah, difference yeah. was in, in England, the majority was pro punk after the, you know, sex pistols explosion happened. Like it, it totally took over the pop world in America. It did not happen at all. They tried to make yeah. it happen sort of half-assed, but sort of the same way they tried to make reggae a big deal. And, and Bob Marley ends yeah. up becoming a superstar sort of despite the Island Records efforts instead of because of it. And so, you know, in the U.S., you had bands like Van Halen and stuff that come along and are getting labeled dinosaurs and told they're passe. And they were just like, fuck you and fuck punk rock. And, you know, and they seized the throne. I mean, they they were the future of, of popular rock music in the States. But um, so let's see, anything else we need to cover about punk? I think I think guy from Diamond Head had another good point, which is that... Mm which is just the standard case for punk rock that rock had gotten so bloated that, you know, it was all Led Zeppelin in the limos and triple albums from yes. And you had to go to Wembley to see him and you were 400 feet yeah. away from the band at best. So it was very exciting to suddenly have this new generation of bands that you could see in clubs that were, you know, just normal people that, you know, Johnny Rotten yeah. and Vicious get beat up in the street by goons and um, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. I thought they did a pretty good job with that. But like you said, Alexi, Motorhead, like Motorhead is the first one of these bands to put out a, put out a record. Motorhead was seen basically as punk. They were one of the only bands in this scene that, I mean, they got voted worst band and some poll and stuff, but they, they were playing gigs with like the runaways and, and they did interview girl school, the lead singer of girl school. So, I mean, I I guess that was their little, and I don't know if it's because, of um, uh, Lemmy's unabashed worship of the Ramones, right? Like just totally saying like Ramones, 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 Ramones. Like just constantly. I don't know yeah. if subliminally that went up against the narrative, you know, the Iron Maiden narrative. Like, oh no, 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 totally different kinds of things. You know, like I don't it's know if Lemmy also, was too close to a bunch. Also, of that. the first the first metal band to actually step back over the fence in a very significant way. And I know this kind of screws with their narrative. Was uh, was Venom? 
going that tour they did, the famous tour they did with the Black Flag. We're talking '83, you know, which is okay. So Venom was never as big as Iron Maiden, but you know these guys were, and of course, you know, Venom's attractive feature at that point in time was the whole satanic thing. So you know, maybe yeah. that maybe that was it versus you know the whole Venom was on the extreme end of the way metal bands were marketed and branded at that point. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the thing with the Nawabam bands, that word, Nawabam, but um, is, is that, and, and, and to that credit, it came from the media. It didn't come from the bands or anything or, yeah. or from their manager, but it's just, you know, and, and of course the media had been talking about new wave, new wave, new wave. Um, so it was a logical thing to put on a magazine article, but just becomes a terrible label. And now I've forgotten the point I was trying to make. But yeah, they yeah. T- they talked to a. Is there any connection between that and New Wave, like for punk music? Well, New Wave was being marketed as the yeah. more palatable alternative to punk. Like yeah, because punk of Chips. Gets... When I was a kid, my introduction to New Wave was the Chips episode when when <laughs> Ponch had to fight the punks, and then they had some people and they were like, "Oh, they're punks! No, no, we're not punks. We're New Wave." And they had a cute girl with the blue hair, and the yeah, remember yeah, that? Yeah. Like you know, it's like yeah, we're yeah, not exactly. punk. We're New Wave. It's totally different, you know. And like and the, uh, and the punk guy was a junkie. Yeah. Punk got a little bit of attention in the States. Like Sire didn't have a ton of marketing muscle, but they had the Ramones and, and the Talking Heads, et cetera. And they were kind of pushing, hey, there's they a also, new scene. They, in the also, they also had Howie, Howie Klein, who was always, every time I was at Biafra's house, was always at Biafra's house. That's where I met Howie Klein. When he went to Sire, he was taking punk rock seriously. Bill Graham yeah. was sort of, you know, could, but just the discipline thing bothered him. So, you know, but but what happened was the Sex Pistols then come up here in England and get massive, massive mainstream media attention because they went on TV and cussed on like an afternoon talk show. That was like kind of the Oprah of the day. And then they they did the Queen's Jubilee and it becomes this huge media event. And then there's a quite a bit like the Sex Pistols are on the cover of Rolling Stone and uh, and lots lots of Time magazine I think had an article about them and they get mainstream news coverage not me- entertainment coverage but they get zero radio play and Sid Vicious is such a whiteoid and he's vomiting everywhere that radio programmers who had kind of been flirting with playing the Ramones you know like Sheena's a punk rocker just dropped them like, you know, like it's hot, like, no, uh-uh, we don't want anybody coming up to the station and vomiting everywhere. That's just not the deal. You know, like, like Johnny Rotten was on a radio show in San Francisco and channel, you know, made all these homophobic remarks. And then two station wagons full of 49ers fans comes out and likely for Johnny, Steve Jones and Paul Cook were thugs and beat the crap out of all these you know, yokels. But, but, you know, the, the radio DJ talked and he didn't dig that. And, and, you know, it was just so, punk became this poison in the American marketplace and new wave was how they rebranded bands like Blondie and talking heads. And also people like the knack who had nothing to do with punk, but kind of capitalized. People didn't know what punk was. So rebranded. I mean, the the thing is, you know, they just kind of opened their eyes and their ears. Blondie wasn't doing anything markedly different than they had ever done, you know, but people were like, no, look, we could actually sell this. And those guys had all been like with Richard Hell and the Voidoids. I mean, they were Lower East Side regulars, man. They were like the same with the Talking Head. Well, they came in from Rhode Island. They're RISD cats, but still, they were they had real bona fides. It was just they the regulars. I think the scene, but, here we could sell, you know. Yeah, but but musically, Blondie wasn't punk punk, and um, they 
looked different and, and their first hit was the disco song, a disco version of one of their songs. So, you yeah. know, I think it's a fashion um, connection. I think the whole reason why punk appealed to mainstream critics and people trying to find that hot stuff is the fact of the matter is, look, I mean, what Malcolm McLaren like operated the hot clothing store, you know, so it, it's that connection to fashion and being fashionable as opposed to just the gritty, dirty, working class again punk working class people too but just you know it's yeah. being fashionable and working class as opposed to like well, you but, know just but, gritty and that that's not selling to the to the well, that's also I think, I think that they, they didn't i mean that's what i was saying about iron maiden i think that iron maiden's first and most major accomplishment was was fashion based i mean they didn't look like any other metal band when they when people start paying attention to them in 82 83 like it was it, it, you know, except for maybe ACDC and even ACDC had, you know, uh, uh, sartorially, they had shtick, you know, with the schoolboy outfit, you know, yeah. they, Iron made them look like their audiences in 1982. They know? were anti-fashion, yeah. like, which was a hardcore yes, thing, right. but, but that's why yeah. they didn't fit in in 77 at all. Yeah. But that's, that's, yeah. there was also a demand though, because the seventies fashion had gotten so long hair, beards, mustaches, jeans jacket. It was, you know, ugly dude, ugly dude, ugly dude, ugly dude. So when the punks came along with with short haircuts, that opened up this window for people like the police who are classic rockers all the way. I mean, Stuart Copeland's in an art rock band. Andy Summers was literally in the animals. I mean, like a 60s rocker. Sting was a jazz bassist. They just cut, cut and dyed their hair and played reggae with a lot of effects and mm -hmm. we're punk. You know, and, well, you, and I'm not there's something too. That, there's something that did you know? Did you notice that also when they were like looking at the various audiences, like how that I'm paying attention, I'm watching the clips. I'm like, I, I asked Kasha, go, you notice anything? She's like, well, no, no. I was like, look at the number of women. <laughs> there's no album, not a lot of women in yep. the audiences. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolute I, sausage fest. Like, I saw one, one for every clip I saw. There was one woman. And that's why when you watch it and you think and you try to tr put yourself in a scene and like, okay, would I have been a part of that? It's like, yeah, no. <laughs> it reminded me of the sausage <laughs> fest of like lyricist lounges in in in, in Manhattan. It's like, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. No, where are the honeys? Right, right. Yeah. Where's the yeah, punk yeah, shows? Yeah. You saw honeys in the punk shows when they had the punk clips. Yeah. Except, except, women there. except there, there, there was a – Hardcore cleared No, there was that famous uh, – so I can't remember who did it. It was a – why do punk rock guys go out with new wave girls? <laughs> yeah, the Turbo Negro classic song. Why do yeah, right, punk rock right. boys go out with these uh, new wave hooker girls? But and, and then they they, they segue. I want to I want to get this this other thing that they that they do, um, which is talking about the bandwagon and Neil K, which is and I didn't yeah. know and thought was really interesting was kind of the guerrilla marketing way that Nawabin broke, and it's one DJ basically who somehow set up a club with a sound system that was competitive with disco sound systems, but wasn't a disco sound system. He built like a band PA in a club so you could get that rock and roll experience of all the speakers yep. pointing directly at you instead of kind of the surround sound of, of a disco club mix and yep. set up a dress code, no suits. You got to wear jeans, you got to wear T-shirts. And of course, that's only going to attract dudes, but there were enough desperate dudes want to rock that this yep. club became a thing yep. and then you know he invites he he, he nags a, a magazine reporter from sounds magazine come on you got to come yep. down and come down come down and see it and um 
the guy finally shows up is blown away because here's this thing he's never seen before a rock and roll club it's it's like a disco it's packed it's packed you know and and he's like hey can you do charts for my magazine and so Kay grabs the you know opportunity and pretty soon bands are sending like they tell the story of iron maidens in the demo they were just trying to get a gig at the club and dude immediately loves it and starts putting them in in this charts with demos and then yeah. you know that leads directly, uh, just fed on itself, and and it built the scene, and, and eventually the the record labels, you know, got the attention. But if you look at the history of all these bands, like I've been looking up, you know, all these stories of bands I've never dug into at all: Diamond Head, Tigers of Pantang, Praying Mantis, uh, even looking <laughs> into Motorhead, <laughs> <laughs> even looking at Motorhead's discography, and like Motorhead got signed by United Artists almost immediately upon forming and they recorded their album and said, ah, we're just going to leave that in the shelf boys. And then sued them when they tried to do a record with another label. It wasn't until their third label, the bronze that put out singles and albums for them. Um, Iron Maiden had to put out an independent EP before they finally got signed. Diamond head put out their own record with no money to print a sleeve. So they sent out just a completely blank package and that was, you know, of course, uh, Neil Kay puts it at the top of his charts and it was mail ordered and, and finally a record company picked it up and put it out. And that was a beloved album that Metallica covered two of their songs. Then their second yeah. album, they signed to MCA, which was absolutely the worst record label going at that well, time. Maybe the okay, worst okay, record okay, label okay, in history. Metallica covered their songs, but I thought it was noteworthy that Lars was saying people didn't know it was a Diamond Head song. It's yeah. not like we had to tell him. I was like, whoa, whoa bro, 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 this might meant a lot to Diamond Head. What the fuck? Did you just publicly admit to being a... Nah, I don't but the thing is, they, they put out an from, album... stole it from me before. I got a, I got a max. Yeah, me. but they put out a record of Diamond of covers of songs by Diamond Head, Killing Joke, etc., yeah. and gave them the royalties. Yeah. They made Diamond Head a lot yeah, of money. Your, I mean, every dime Diamond Head ever made probably came by way of Metallica. So, yeah, yes, I hate Lars for many reasons, but that's not one of them. But yeah, it, yeah, uh, yeah. but I mean, he's talking about playing in shitty clubs in San Francisco. He's, you know, it wasn't like they were world-beating titans at that point. But Diamond Head signs to MCA. I, 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 saw, I, I, saw, I saw them at a shitty club in San Francisco. It was called Shoreline Amphitheater. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm talking about 1981 yeah okay yeah yeah i'm not talking i'm talking about this the era he's talking about which is when they first started out but diamond had the story i'm trying to tell is that they signed to mca and get one of these dickhead producers who's like yeah you guys are hot everybody likes your underground raging metal sound let's get a power ballad you know and and just you know totally killed him and like their their manager was one of their moms so they had no you know, utterly naive kids and they just totally got wrecked. And like every one of these stories of if they're not Def Leppard or Iron Maiden and they were in Nawabum and they didn't make it, it's because their record label totally fucked them. The record labels didn't get that there was still an opportunity in metal. You know, they, they weren't 15 year old white guys. Uh, and they all thought this crap is played out. Led Zeppelin. That was, you know, eight years ago. Who cares about this metal crap? New wave punk is where it's at. And um, but then Iron Maiden comes out and that shit sold and sold and sold. That was very much like Black Sabbath, where there's this hungry market. EMI signs them, uh, you know, and the rest is history. And, and you know, we'll talk about that um, in the in the rest of this segment. That's, 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 
that's the only thing good thing in my mind that the Johnny uh, Johnny Rotten and the Sex Pistols ever did. The, the whole fucking of EMI. That was really <laughs> and A and M. Don't forget. Don't forget right, and That's right. Right. But, yeah, that if you read cool. Johnny Rotten's autobiography or watch The Filth and the Fury, he'll tell you that was all um, Malcolm McLaren fucking up. That McLaren tells the right. story of how he did it all brilliantly as this way to subvert the industry. But Johnny Rotten was just—he uh, was just an incompetent, half-assed manager. He didn't mean to fuck any of those deals up. He just you know, knew how to publicize it after the fact, just like he never got right. us a good PA when we played anywhere, you know, just did not yeah, yeah. do the basic blocking and tackling. And the other thing about listening to like praying mantis and Pantang and all these guys is <laughs> when you hear like some of them, like Holocaust are more on the heavier edge at like diamond head and iron maiden. But a lot of these guys were in that sweet spot between Iron Maiden and Def Leppard. So if you listen to this whole movement in context, Def Leppard totally fits in, especially their first record. You know, Praying Manus in particular has some pretty catchy tunes. Um, and then the last thing I want to bring up was this dude, John Tucker, who's a music writer, who was like, uh, yeah. this was the logical next step after bands like Deep Purple. All of us at one stage or another were thinking, what will happen next? And now we had the answer. So Wabam was was where you know metal was going thoughts on this segment and anything else alexi eugene anybody anyway all right well i will take a spot i i got plenty but you've been talking so much i haven't been able to get a pause in edgewise uh-huh uh-huh well we'll There's talk about that show. yes uh, we'll take a sponsor <laughs> break play some tunes come back to discuss the triumph of iron maiden and whether or not def leopard was legitimately part of nawab A word from our sponsors. continue our discussion of metal evolution part four the new wave of british heavy metal that was my colleague pow, 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 pow. where's the place. microphone pow, pow. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we set up the launch of the new the new wabam and now iron maiden signed to emi first album hits and it's big right away uh, but first why did they get signed they got signed because they're at that little club with the dude we talked about last time and it's packed and EMI is like we better sign him before somebody else does and so 
no uh, concept that they cared about the music or anything, but it was clearly a trend and they jumped on it. That's what record companies do. And Every time you say EMI, I think of Johnny, Johnny Rotten saying, EMI. <laughs> I just doesn't like, everybody. I, I mean, yeah, you know, of course, right? Oh man, that got a brand. But you know, after thinking about it and watching more stuff, Steve Harris's denials of having anything to do with punk rock just grates on me more and more. I went yep. back and listened to those first two Maiden albums. It's, I mean, Paul Dano is a total punk rock singer with a short haircut and a leather jacket. Watch the videos from that era. Eddie looks like a punk rock monster. Yep. I mean, yep. it, yep. Yep. It, the song, it's, it's multiple songs in the first two albums start with Steve Harris doing the bass, just like a hardcore band. He might even be where the hardcore bands got that. I, I, he, yeah. he might predate Chuck Dukowski. Doing well, hold that. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. He, he, if you listen to what he said, it was pretty clever. He shit all over punk rock. A lot of people who were in punk rock shit all over hardcore. So he didn't say anything about hardcore. And I see, I mean, what he's saying is, you know, those drugged out losers that were spitting on me and, okay, them, no. But yeah, you know, Motorhead, those guys who came along in 82, 83, Black Flag was playing with Venom. I think that they, he didn't shit on them. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, it could go either way that he could, that could be just beneath contempt from the perch of the multi. I don't know. You know what? I was hoping they would talk more about why they got rid of the first singer other than vocal range issues because i think there was a story there there is a story there's a, there's another bbc documentary about nawabam and and paul dano's on that and he talks about how he could tell the direction they were going in it was getting more and more prog more and more art rock he wasn't having it he also had struggled on the tour there's implications that aren't said although they've said it in other places that he had drug issues um, you know, so so it was multiple things. Plus, it was a chance to sabotage Samson, who they saw coming in their rearview mirror in a big way with with Bruce Dickinson and Thunderstick on drums. This guy, the band Bruce Dickinson was in before yeah. Samson had a drummer who wore a pro wrestling mask and played in a cage and called himself mm-hmm. Thunderstick. And it, it's it's priceless stuff. They had actually one or two albums. I had to say, going back and listening to like Holocaust and Praying Mantis and Witchfinder and uh, Angel Witch. There are tons of great Nawabam albums. I'm just like, this is the platonic ideal of, of heavy metal to me, Nawabam. Yeah. It's, it's, they just need a new name. Nawabam, I still cringe every time you say it. it it's, well, and, it's I, and, I, and I'm, still, I'm yeah. still having a problem with the b of Nawabam. Yeah, the, the Brit, you know, I don't want to give them all that credit. I, you know, ah. I mean, it, this I, was a British I, phenomenon. I mean, you know, just and, noir. And... <laughs> <laughs> noir. Yeah, you know, you will, you, you will, you will find dozens of people in in America who read Despot magazine denying that. You know, mm. but whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, any further thoughts on Iron Maiden's big commercial breakthrough with their first album? It was wow. big. Kids loved it, and and <laughs> and I think. I think the Eddie graphic on the cover, and they even admitted this that like people bought it who didn't even know what it was. I, that was. I, I'd, I'd have to stand. I'd have to stand up, but you could see the fast Eddie inspired La Vida Loca on my arm. Clearly, he sat yeah, there yeah. with the cover, the cover of the record, and with a pen and an ink and wrapped it. He did the tattoo nine hours. Nine That's hours how to get Eddie on your arm. Uh, that 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 is commitment. And so, mm-hmm. after that, they go to Reading, nineteen eighty. 
And and I don't know if you noticed on the poster, but Ozzy Osbourne's new band was one of the bands that was playing, yeah. which is you know Randy Rhodes, et cetera. And I I don't even know if they mentioned Randy Rhodes in this whole series, which is not yet pretty yeah. Yeah. pretty egregious if you ask me. But um, you know, right, well, there's right still time. There. There's still time. We'll see if they do it so next week on Glam. <laughs> you know, but yeah. they don't really fit in with Glam. But Ozzy's second band is kind of a, a weird thing to fit in. But so Ready 1980, massive festival, thirty thousand people. Been a festival going on in England for a long time before this. You know, mm. White Snake and UFO. Uh, UFO is another band they didn't mention. They had Michael Schenker yeah. who had left the Scorpions yeah. for for UFO, and and um, you know those guys are headlining. Tigers of Pantang play, um, right. Iron Maiden plays, everybody's going out for great. And they just, I felt like they gave the Tigers of Pantang vocalist, and I don't mention that this guy got fired after their first album because he literally cannot carry a tune. Jesse Cox yeah. from Tigers of Pantang literally cannot carry a tune. The second vocalist, their second album, pretty solid stuff. But anyway, he's just there to tell you the story of how the punters are filling bottles with piss and throwing him on the stage at Def Leppard. He also implies they're throwing Dookie at Def Leppard, which, I mean, talk about a party foul, uh, you know. But then they bring Joe Elliott on, who totally denies that this was anything I more than that. just kids having a good time. <laughs> He's, no, 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 no. He said they would do it to everybody. It was yeah, just, it was you just know. It happened to everybody. Win went over great, you know. And it was just one Why critic who said that, that it was bad, you know, and everything. But I... I, who am I to say? I wasn't there, but everybody else that was there seems to think that it was a fiasco. For well, Def that's, I think that's also exposed an issue that occurred with the hip hop evolution as well, which is, you know, you would kind of like to see more back and forth as opposed to like, oh, were you inspired punk? No, you weren't. Uh, oh, inspired punk? No, 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 no. Like, hey, were you? We you were booed, right? No, we weren't booed. Yeah, you know, it just it it just I understand the kind of style that he has and why he doesn't like to engage in that because he's trying to make friends, but it it's just it just be so much more engaging just to have more agita in place, you know, and to have well, he said he said they were booed. He just said they did it to everybody. Yeah, yeah, he, he yeah he said everybody. Yeah, was but at least have someone's like not like that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, There's a difference between being spit on. And haven't been shit on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I, I feel for Sam Dunn here because I mean Joe Elliott is a multi-gazillionaire. Oh, of course, right, right, right. You know, you're lucky to get five minutes of his time, much less setting up an interview. So he asks a question. That's you know, uh, kind of all I expect. But I've, it gives I, Elliott. I love, I love, I love Joe Elliott. It was, it was clear that he was enjoying. The, you know, it's like waiting for the drop in, in techno or house music when that drop came. And he was like, you know, 10 million. He was like doing that thing about how many records they had actually sold. It was like, take the balls out, place them on the table for all to survey. It was just and also right when he was as well, he was said, you know, uh, the other chaps were focused on the UK. Were we... We're focused on America yeah. and the world, you know. So yeah. I guess we just, just had different goals. You're like, damn, yeah. like, you told me, yeah. like, you know, yeah. I'm not against yeah. those yeah. people. We just had different goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which gives some credence to the the allegations that they were sellouts. You know, no, although totally, they had yeah. already done four tours of of England by that point before they did an American tour. But yeah, clearly, but this are guy you a had sellout when the plan, right from the get go, right? He said, "This is yeah. I always viewed us as being here." This is what yeah. this is what we were aiming for, 
right? Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't he like a situation where yeah, he was like, yeah. okay, he was pretending to be a part of something, and then years like, no, he's just like, we, this is what we always yeah. thought we were going to be, and we were it. That's it. He yep. took and something. He was, every he took something. Every single one of them would have taken. Yeah. You know the the brass ring. Not a single person would go. Oh no 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 no! I only would have sell fifty records. Get out of here. Yeah, and, and 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 he was clear from the beginning. He wanted no part of Nawabum ever yep. because he didn't want to be branded heavy metal because the critics all thought heavy metal was morons. He didn't want to be that. He wanted to be like the Kinks and the Stones and the Who, which Def Leppard was like sort of a brain dead version of those bands. Yep. I mean, yep. you know, like yep. I don't know. It's it's hard for me. I actually went back and listened to their entire oeuvre getting ready for this episode. Ooh, I have, I have hated Def Leppard. That, that is a core value brand value for me is hating Def Leppard oh, since yeah. I was 13 years old. I like tie and dry, but then when Pyromania came out, I listened to it, but didn't admit it. And then when it got on the radio, I was like, I'm out of here. Screw this shit. And by the time hysteria came, I was just like, I do not get it, this. I, I don't it understand. Was, oh, it was too soft for you. It wasn't that it was too soft. It's, I mean, I was, I was, if I wanted to rock, I was going to listen to Metallica at, at that right. point in time or, or Slayer or whatever. It was that the way Joe Elliott's got all that fury in his voice and then the big power chord comes and, and, you know, and you can see Phil Collin like posing next to him in the video. Mm, and yeah, yeah, I had yeah. never done cocaine at this point in my life. And I just did not get <laughs> where all this sort of constipated fury was coming from and, and the mutt lang sound didn't do anything to, for me you know and how, then going back lang? wow yeah i, I mean how, i was how, how old were you? 14 how old were you? 15 16 oh, okay. this whole period and i had a stupid friend who would you know be like nate i gotta tell you you know you like that rem and all that but you know if you want to try a metal band that's that's also quality Def Leppard is one. <laughs> and I would just be like, no, that is not what I want in a metal band. I want yeah. Slayer. I like yeah. Slayer. Don't give me Def Leppard. So you're not going back. But the funny oh, thing sorry. about that, just briefly, the thing about that is we talk about the, the power of, of album art. I remember when that Pyromania album cover. I remember as a kid, so I was like, you see this? And I was like, what the yeah. fuck? Like, it's like something yeah. blowing up. My wife just yeah. the other day when, when we were watching the episode, she said, remember that album cover? Like, you know, if you're a certain age and you just see the yeah. album cover is a target on shit being blown up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 For whatever reason, I only saw that on cassettes. So that cover didn't make that big of an impact on me. And I was never thumbing through the Def Leppard section. I can promise you, I was never thumbing through that. And so... You know, I just had my friend's cassettes and I would just be like, yeah, turn this crap off, you know. But going back and listening to it, I can see the appeal. They've got catchy songs. They totally stole the whole glam model of songs, yep. the big boom, 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 you know, choruses. And, you know, but every single song is about how horny he is and how the I, chick's I have to nervous. And, I have you to know, tell you, like, go ahead. Neck, it, neck and neck. Latter Day Aerosmith and Def Leppard. I gotta go with Def Leppard. Oh, of course, man. for Latter Day, oh, yeah. there's no. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the difference yeah. between Mutt Lang and Bob Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, and also Desmond Child or whoever it was that wrote all those songs. Man, it's the same guy that wrote the yeah. Bon Jovi songs. Like Def Leppard, at least wrote their own songs. <laughs> hey, hey, you know when we put out thin when we put out Thin Black Duke, we auditioned five mastering guys, and one mastering guy 
was like famous for like a hip hop mastering guy, but he really wanted to do rock. So he said, ah, I'll do, I'll do it for free. I'll do it. So he did this demo thing and it was like Oxbow through the oeuvre of hip hop. And we're like, yo, bro, it's kind of, yeah, it's, no. So we like turn him <laughs> down. Uh, our, the guitar player recently noticed on the charts after Drake's record come out came out that he was the guy who mastered Drake's record. Nine of those songs off the Drake's record are in the top 10. And then the other song that's in the top 10, he also mastered. <laughs> well, you, you can pick him. What can I say? What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So another thing about hysteria that they don't talk about is going back and listening to that. It was like they were listening to the police nonstop when they put that yeah, album yeah, together. Yeah, like yeah. the police and you two are all over, you know, sonically. Like Mutt Lang was way into that. But is there any other thoughts on on our on Def Leppard? I mean, I think they were smart to disassociate themselves from the Wabam, but. If you go back and listen to their first EP, the Def Leppard EP, it's very Nawabum. It's very punk rock. It mm. it's it's very straightforward. Three songs, oh. although one of them's like a prog rock odyssey. But but the sound of it and everything is is pretty for all those guys. They all they all had to. I mean, you know, it's just the way the British scene works. There are very few people who hit it big and are British and stay there. You know, mm. just I mean, yeah. just because so, socially it just seems. You just can't. T- you, what is that? That great Smith song, or who is it? Your friends hate you when you become successful, or some such thing. I mean, Morrissey. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Lemmy's apartment in, in L.A. Yeah, you could find it on. The, it was like but they never made it. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, but what I'm saying is, he chose that yeah. over anything that could. Yeah. You know, they just you want to get out. Of here, People sniping at you because you know, Morrissey left, Lemmy left. Those guys, I'm pretty sure they don't live in 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 you know Newcastle anymore. So, <laughs> well, and, and who does? Essex but, or Essex, even worse. Yeah. So the next point to cover is the new singer for Iron Maiden. So you got Paul Dano for two successful albums, although Killers was kind of a flop compared to the first album. So they bring in Bruce Dickinson. They poach him from Samson, uh, who has just got a new major label deal. And and the, yeah. the day they're supposed to sign the contract, Bruce comes in and says, "Hey guys, uh, sorry, I'm joining Iron Maiden." So it's like Lionel uh, Lionel Richie fucking over the Commodores. <laughs> yes, yes. Except without the multiple hit albums first. Yeah, yeah, Right out the yeah. gate, screw it yeah. over. And so Bruce Dickinson comes on. They cut Number of the Beast. Classic album sells gazillions of copies. I mean, that thing ruled my middle school, like. You know, every stoner idiot, we all had that album. Just, you know, I preferred the earlier stuff even then, but um, it's hard to argue with Number of the Beast. I mean, it is what it is. It's it's prog rock, though. At this point, they, they mm-hmm. put their cards on the table and and no more punk. It's prog rock. And it's, it's Man, you say, the opera. You say, you say prog rock, but I, I have to say, when I hear prog rock, I think of one terrible torturous experience I had with uh, Emerson Lake and Palmer and to me that's you know that's <laughs> these are very different types of prog rock so uh, I always catch when you say prog rock I think of ELP you know and I just like yeah, yeah but how, are you, how, are you, how are you how are you defining prog rock Nate uh, seven eight time signatures multiple long long song e- sections keyboards you know Keyboards, keyboards yeah. are in there. The vocals yeah, soaring over yep. the top. I yep. mean, just yep. just listen to Number of the Beast. It's it 
totally has tons of licks that could be on a Yes album or a King mm, Crimson yeah, album yeah, yeah, or Genesis. Yeah, yeah. Steve yeah, Harris even talks about Genesis, you know. And Peter Gabriel Genesis, not not Phil yeah, Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, anytime they're going, that's prog rock. I mean, you know, like if if they're playing a riff that you really can't hum, that's prog rock. So, no, 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 no. Almost if they're playing a riff you can't hum and they're playing it and playing it and playing it, that's prog rock. And yeah, and then they switch to another riff that you can't hum. Yeah. You know, my reaction to prog rock 90% of the time was, is this shit still on? <laughs> you're in a prog rock band I mean don't take now, this wrong but, but, our, but our songs are four, four minutes long bro we get in we get out make the point no solos we're done <laughs> you know, I, I do have to hand it to you there's no there's no self-indulgence not, I, well you know you know, you know why you, you know why you know why because I can't perform for a 13 minute song <laughs> We have one 13 minute song. I'm an elderly I'm an elderly singer at this point, man. I'm fucking jumping it's like around. It's like Evander Holyfield falling out of the ring. Oh uh, boy. You know. Yeah, I, I, I told you on that one. We'll talk about that later. Okay, so the other things to cover they cover in this in this episode is that Nawabam is the first instance where the metal tribe self identifies. And you have things like Saxon's song, Denim and Leather. Yeah. Holocaust as a band, heavy metal music. I mean, this this is the first point. I guess Judas Priest was probably the first people to be openly, we're heavy metal. This, but this whole movement was like, we're metal. We've got the denim jackets. We sew all our you know stickers on our on our jackets. Self self identified. And to me, this is when you know the Platonic ideal of heavy metal is perfected. This is from from here on out. Everything else is just variations on the wobble. Um, yeah. Am I wrong? I, see, I'm not, I'm not wrong. Um, I, yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, there, you know, you can't. I mean, there's a lot. There's like just so many different forms of gay, you know, of uh, metal that you can't even, you know. I mean, well, where, where, I, I got where's, it. Where's, where's I am wrong because the next episode know? is gonna is gonna come at me with the anti Nawabum, which is glam yeah, metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they yeah. talk about that in this episode. There's two things that really, other than Def Leppard and. Iron Maiden, who both got escape philosophy and got used in the States pretty quickly. Mm. Everybody else gets wiped out by two things. A wave of older bands coming back, like Judas Priest, uh, yep. you know, gets religion after hearing the first Iron Maiden album and hearing the Def Leppard EP. Yep. They already had stained class, but they just go on this run, Helmet for Leather, Unleashed in the East, Screaming yep. for Vengeance. Um, and, you know, and, and there's just a ton of bands doing that. You know, Thin Lizzy's out there poaching uh, guitar players because they're constantly chewing through lead guitarists. So, you know, so they steal the guitar player from Tigers of Pantang over and over again. And then the second factor is glam metal comes over, MTV comes over, and it's Rat, it's Motley Crue, it's yeah. Spandex. You know, it, it's, it's it's that whole thing, and, and these guys. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> whenever you say rat, that's the uh, out on the street. <laughs> I mean, is there another? <laughs> they might have. Have you listened to Out of the Cellar at any point in the oh, last yeah. thirty? It is not. I don't have to because I just play round and round over. I get and right, over. And over. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. well, to, to to that point, the, the the label sent that out as a single because at that point I was doing music reviews and they didn't send that. There was not even a B side on it. It was like round and round and round and round instrumental. They knew what they had. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah. And, and, they knew yeah. right from and, the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I didn't even mention Quiet Riot and how bad their albums are. Yeah, um, man. Yeah, I still can't believe Randy Rhodes was in a band with those clowns, but um, yeah, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. They 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 talk about how you know the 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 pincer movement of the old bands coming back and the glam bands coming out of America pretty much killed Nawab. I mean, they've got like the poor cross-eyed singer from Raven talking about you know uh, what are we going to do? We're spandex and get you know like the guy you know the student's never ever ever going to be Vince Neil in yeah. a gazillion years so you know it's well vince neil's not looking so good recently and not sounding nearly as good he's having serious problems but smoke 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 drink 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 stupid 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 as sinatra once said but i, I yeah i mean yeah, we'll get to talk I, I was, to vince I, neil next time so i was just happy i i realized with great frequency probably once a month about how much i miss the new york dolls <laughs> mm. you know so that was yeah that was, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and ironically, Def Leppard is probably the most honest exponent of glam metal because they were huge Slade and sweet fans from day yeah, one. Yeah, That's yeah. all they ever wanted to do. And they yeah. did it, you know, yeah. and, and the, the LA bands. Yeah, we'll talk about those next time. And so then they wrap up with a little segment on Metallica and Metallica's idolization of Nawabam bands, particularly Diamond Head, they covered multiple Diamond Head songs, Am I Evil, and, and at, had the decency to put them out on the Garage Days Revisited or Re-Revisited EP so that, you know, not just Diamond Head, but also the Misfits and Killing Joke and other bands that were influences of got, made serious bank. I mean, I'm sh- I guarantee you that was the biggest payday Diamond Head ever made. Yeah. No, not even close. And so, you know, that's righteous. And it's also one of those things. It's like when Run DMC came along and codified the original street sound of hip hop and just killed Electro with one go, you know, or Brian Jones comes along and says, no, the blues, the rock and roll is based on the blues, not R&B, the blues, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or David Bowie come along and saying it was the Velvet Underground. It was the MC5. It was the Stooges. These, This is the canon, you know coming out of nowhere because that was not the canon and and if it hadn't been for david bowie a lot of those bands would have been totally forgotten same thing with metallica if they hadn't they would have i mean well that, that's a topic for a different time but i, mean, I was just metallica laughing thinking about, about axel rose punching david bowie for talking to uh aaron everly it's like i both both guys he tried to fight kurt cobain and david bowie i'm convinced could have kicked axel's ass you Vince Neil too. No, remember he, uh, they, he Kurt Cobain was Kurt, my size. Kurt Cobain wrestled. <laughs> he was he, actually he was still good. like half Axel's size. I mean, he was a he was a good wrestler in a good wrestling state. Uh, he, it's no, no, no. Hmm, Axel, hmm, hmm. Axel, Axel's five foot nine. Not six foot two. <laughs> not you know. He's getting well, his ass kicked. And Bowie was boxing. He's not. <laughs> hmm, but whatever. Hmm. Well, whatever. We'll, we'll get to talk yeah. about Guns N' Roses next time. When we cover Glam Rock on uh, Metal Evolution Part 5. So, thanks for listening. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate, Eugene, and Alexi continue the history of heavy metal with a discussion of the 80s glam metal scene in Los Angeles. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts 
at www.pantheonpodcast.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.